0: Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash webinar. See online soon. Today on This Week Health.
1: You get people sort of dipping their toe in it, doing one or two Patients a week. And you can kind of tie that together with paper and string and handpick the patients and say they fit all these criteria fine. But you then try to do that at scale, and it's a completely different proposition.
0: Welcome to Newsday, a This Week Health newsroom show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our Newstay Show partners, and we have a lot of them this year, which I am really excited about. Cedar sinai Accelerator, ClearSense, CrowdStrike, Digital Scientists, Optimum Healthcare IT, Pure Storage, SureTest, TauCite, Lumion, and VMware. We appreciate them investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, onto the show. All right, it's Newsday, and today we are joined by Robbie Hughes, founder and CEO of Lumion. Robbie, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Lumion, you guys are international. You have London office, you have Boston office, you have a Denver office. Give us a little idea of what Lumion does. So we think of ourselves
1: as a care orchestration platform. What that effectively means is that we're bringing automation into clinical care delivery. Now, this is a really interesting thing. Like In Europe, we've been around a long time. We've done a lot of stuff that's really delivered a huge amount of value. In the US, bringing automation into this space, it's been kind of interesting, but with the business model and the fever service and the cost plus pieces, the desire to really re- substantially reduce costs, hasn't really been the driver with the workforce challenges that we're seeing today and the need to do more with less, the ability to amplify your care teams and do work that simply couldn't otherwise be done is proving to be extremely exciting for our clients. So it's a great time to be doing what we are today.
0: Oh yeah, fantastic and perfect time to be doing this. I had a conversation yesterday with a CIO and we were talking about efficiency and driving automation and those kinds of things. And one of the things that has become sort of the de facto belief is we will never have enough clinicians again. The demographics just don't work. And so technology has to step in here somehow.
1: Yeah, that's right. I was in a conference last week and one of the delegates shared that India alone is going to consume the entire population of nurses for the entire globe over the next decade. There's not even enough people being trained. In fact, there aren't even enough trainers to train the people who need to be trained to satisfy the demand it's what we have today is bad it's going to get worse it's just not sustainable in the current model
0: yeah so we have to get creative as you look at all the things that are going on technology i put a poll out there on linkedin this week there was five gosh finding my own stuff on uh, some of these platforms now here it is monday poll uh which HIM's uh, announcement will have the biggest impact not the biggest hype but the biggest impact on healthcare and there was four announcements there was oracle zoom So Oracle and Zoom have come together, telehealth. Wellstar and Clear around patient ID, which I thought was interesting, Philips, AWS, and generative AI. So one of the few announcements that wasn't OpenAI and Microsoft and whatever, but Philips, AWS with generative AI, and then obviously the Azure, Microsoft Azure OpenAI available in Epic. Those were the four choices I put out there because with the LinkedIn poll, you can only put four choices. There was a lot of announcements, but those are the four I put out there. Which of those, when you hear about them, which of those partner announcements do you think is going to have the biggest impact? I think they're all going to have impact
1: on in their own way. Like the Oracle Zoom thing, whether it's Zoom or Teams or anyone else, there needs to be a decent video conferencing capability in these platforms that needs to exist. I think the Oracle kind of service-oriented architecture momentum is interesting. Actually, I think it's super cool, but that I think that's fine i don't see that as massively exciting
0: it's not ground it's not earth shattering kind of news yeah. but it's necessary yeah that's right i think the
1: philips stuff i've got a lot of respect for what they're doing in terms of that laser focus around the diagnostics piece and the ability to effectively find a better way to be the term copilot's being used a lot and i think that's the right term do you become a better copilot to your customers and i think that's smart and i think that's going to be effective And again, it's got to be done on a private cloud. It's got to work in a way that is going to be trained on sensible, curated data. So I think that's fantastic. I worry a little bit about the chat GPT, the large language model, kind of piece more generally. I think it's extremely exciting technology. I think it's got a huge amount of potential. I do think that the ability for us to look at what it's doing and interpret it as fact when, in fact, it could unverifiably be something that isn't fact i think is potentially a massive distraction and a problem and so when you look at putting chat gpt or technology like that into our field you say okay i'm going to add the ability for it to summarize my notes for example okay at face value that's fantastic i mean personally as an engineer i strongly dislike the fact that we're taking structured data turning it into subjective narrative data and then using technology to turn the subjective narrative data into more concise narrative data. I, I, that boggles my mind, but the problem is we can't decipher the fact from the fiction. And so I think it's a really interesting announcement. I think it's very exciting, but I think it has to be very carefully managed to have the desired impact.
0: Yeah. So I was talking to somebody yesterday about how we're going to make these models, more accurate for healthcare because clearly we live in a can't be wrong deterministic narrow set of data to learn from and whatnot i mean you can't learn from the internet how to practice medicine i mean it has to be very focused on or a lot of weight put on things like periodicals studies journal of american medicine i mean you want to really focus it in and say this is the trusted data so that the model can be more accurate but how do we do this? I mean, there. I mean, you've played with ChatGPT, I would assume at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I think it's I think really it's, think, impressive.
1: Yeah, it's hugely impressive for where it has taken factual information and then used that to create kind of narrative off the back of it. So you know, what's it doing? At its basic level, it's looking at a corpus of text. It's then running it through its model. The model roughly being proportionate to the size of the corpus of text it's absorbing and then all it's doing is it's generating tokens it's saying statistically next to this token the right next token is this and it just goes on and on like that that's why it generates it, word it, just, by word. it
0: just it strings words together essentially yeah that's all,
1: that's all it's doing and so if you're training it on stuff that's 100 percent accurate then there's a good chance that well actually let me step back we don't actually know why it works we should be clear about that it works it works because it works. <laughs> and a lot of the reason it works is because it's been very heavily sort of massaged and curated and refined. And there's a lot of work that's gone into that. So then the question is, can we trust the corpus of data that we're looking at today? And so if you look at it and you made the point, you know, it, how do we make it more accurate? I'd say today it's very precise, but we can't validate its accuracy. And if you're training it on a bunch of journals and on a bunch of kind of clinical literature, I mean, we know from experience that what happens in clinical trials does not necessarily reflect what happens in clinical practice. I think as an industry, there's a huge gap between the ability for people to, well, we've made a lot of investments in trying to make good clinical decisions, but actually we haven't really focused on executing them well. And we see that as gaps in, in execution, things getting missed. So if we're training it on a corpus of data or a corpus of text that reflects what happens in the clinical trial space, Is that necessarily reflective of what will happen in operational practice? Don't know. If you train it on what's happened in operational practice, do we have sufficient confidence in an absence of variability in that corpus? In other words, can we absolutely guarantee that the decisions being made are accurate and that the execution is accurate such that we would then base a whole bunch of other stuff on it? Again, don't know. I don't think we would. And then how would we curate it? So, it's clearly not a general purpose solution. to how do we practice medicine by chatbot? That's not what it is. Can you narrow it down to very specific applications where you can add within this kind of narrow lane, some particular elements of value? I think that's right. And that's why I think the Philips thing is smart, because that's effectively what they're doing. They're finding a very specific use case and they're finding something where it can add value quickly in a field where the overall service can be augmented in a in an effective way
0: yeah these narrow models we've seen them in healthcare right so we've seen them in radiology cardiology we've seen them with i mean with quite with with a bunch we've seen it in sepsis there's really narrow models that utilize ai that are very effective because they are There's a reinforced learning that's happening. There's human feedback that's happening. And there's this virtuous loop that's created where the model gets smarter. It gets validated by humans. It gets smarter, gets smarter. Can we create that? I mean, if, if I made you CEO of OpenAI today, and you're looking at this thing, and you have this partnership with Microsoft, and Microsoft is in every healthcare organization in the U.S., I don't know of one that it's not in. And so there's a there's an opportunity for every CIO to check a box and say I want Azure OpenAI and I want to start I want to start using this. And the epic announcement essentially says now Epic's not careless in fact they're the farthest thing from careless. They're very measured in how they make progress. And so they're not going to apply this to coming up with diagnosis and that kind of stuff. That's not what they're going to do. I mean, there's not a chance they will apply it to writing let just communication writing letters just the general purpose yeah. stuff but is there a way if i made you ceo today to get to narrow it down for healthcare and get that reinforced learning the human feedback into the model so
1: where i would apply it and i think as a company where we're looking at it today is I've got all this data, how can I make it more accessible? How can I have a conversational in, or an engaged conversational interface with something that's going to make sense of what I've got? So I think there's a, a massive value in saying, show me all the patients that have got this or that or the other and bring that to me in a sensible way. I think that's great. Again, it's, this has been put into some of the announcements. I think the I picked up on something that the e-clinical works CEO said where he said it does magic that helps our customers truly benefit from public cloud computing. I don't like the word magic in this. I think the...
0: <laughs> we <laughs> have to think... know what it's doing. It can't be like, ta <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And When you said letter writing, things like that, or another one is around patient engagement. Can you direct a bot to achieve something? Like if your goal is to get this information from the patient, go off and figure that fit out. That's fantastic. And I think there's an entire class of systems that are going to be effectively, I think the way we're thinking about this internally is this is sort of an exponential leap in capability. And so you need to look at everything you're doing and say, okay, where is that exponential disconnect going to affect and where can we accelerate? And I think patient engagement is one area where there will be just an exponential change in capability and this ability to get value from things. I think analytics is the other one. I hate the fact that we have to produce letters. I think I think someone's mission somewhere should be to get rid of the letter. I think again it's back it, to this. It's
0: one of the practical applications, and you don't like it, but one of the practical applications of this is we still have a million faxes going all over the place. And Chat GPT-4 could actually look at the facts, read the facts, and turn it into a discrete data element, and all sorts of stuff it could do and then move it into the, uh, to the record. So we could Uh, potentially eliminate facts with something like this.
1: I, yeah, I I agree. I just, the principle of having subjective narrative and then using a thing to create more subjective narrative, but it's somehow better. Like there has to, I think the leap here or the unlock is how can you take the subjective narrative and then turn it into structure? That you can then do more things with, and now someone smarter than me will probably say, "Well, actually, with these technologies, you don't need to do that because you can just have you can just keep it as free flowing corpus, and it doesn't matter." I don't know if that's the case or not, but the idea that so much of what we do in care delivery is intermediated by narrative that has to be created and then read and interpreted opens up so much variation in execution and practice and delivery that the goal here should really be tr- to try to eliminate. Those interpretation handoffs and try to smooth the practice and the delivery of what has to happen on the ground. So we know like, use the, again, Bill, used the word deterministic earlier. Medicine, but broadly speaking, should be, should be science in its basis and sort of artful in its delivery. You should use the human aspects of care delivery to engage people, get them to do the right things, build up those bonds and those relationships. But the decisioning, the execution, all of that should be evidence-based and it should be based on science. Yeah, and right. so can we use this technology rather than, trying to, rather than trying to take so much of this stuff that is kind of artful in nature and applying a layer on it to make it faster? And what I mean by that is not the human compassion and not all of that. That's fine. We should be doing that. So much of what we put into an encounter, so much of what's documented, is effectively freeform text that shouldn't really need to be there. I'd be willing to bet, and I've done a bit of analysis on this in the past, a long time ago in the UK, if you were to look at all the letters that go around from all of the senior physicians in the UK, and you were to train a model on that, I would put money on the fact that the most statistically likely word you might say, might see appearing after the word this, is the word delightful because if you go and look at a letter or any kind of inter-physician communication, you'll find, I saw this delightful lady about this, or I saw this delightful gentleman. And there's so much of that stuff that takes up time and we should just be able to look at the record, trust the record to be complete and say, okay, based on that, this is deterministically what we need to do and this is how we're gonna get it done. But I feel like there could be a lot of uses for these technologies and sort of perpetuating that old way of working which again, as an engineer, I don't like, I would prefer to say, is the record is objectively complete, we trust it, and then we act on it. And from our company at Lumion, a lot of the things we struggle with are, we go in and we look at a clinical delivery process. And we say, okay, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? A lot of it is down to trust, they don't trust what's in the record, They don't see what's in the record to be complete. And so they revalidate things, and they check things, you end up with all those kind of repetitive steps. And so can we use these things to to somehow create trust and completeness in these records. And my fear is that actually it goes the other way. We summarize it, but we don't trust the summary because the summary is based on something that's incomplete. And so we get further away from that trust and that completeness rather than closer to it. So I don't want to see that. And yeah.
0: I don't, it's tricky. Yeah, no, it, it is tricky.
1: Alex's lemonade stand was started by my daughter, Alex in our front yard. By the time she was four, She knew there was more that could be done, and she told us she was going to have a lemonade stand, and she wanted to give the money to her doctor so they could help kids like her. It was cute, right? She's going to cure cancer with a lemonade stand like only a four-year-old would think that, but from day one, it just exceeded anything we could have imagined because people responded so generously to her.
0: We are working to give back and are excited to partner with Alex's Lemonade Stand this year. Having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. At Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, they understand the personal side of the diagnosis, the resources needed and the impact that funded research can have for better treatments and more cures. You can get more information about them at alexslemonade.org. We are asking you to join us. You can hit our website. There's a banner at the top and it says Alex's Lemonade Stand there. You can click on that and give money directly to the lemonade stand itself. Now back to the show. We could stay on this topic for another hour if we wanted to. We only have a couple minutes to go. The Kaiser-Geisinger thing just happened. We're not going to talk about that. It's too new. I need to consume a little bit more information before we get there. But there's an interesting story that came out, so three health systems are joining Amazon, CVS, Best Buy, and supporting home-based care expansion. Let me give you a little excerpt from this. A coalition featuring Amazon, Best Buy, CVS Health, and three health systems is supporting federal legislation aimed at bringing more health care into the home. The Moving Health Home Group says at-home care increases access and reduces costs without sacrificing quality and safety. The pandemic has taught us, and polls confirm, that care in the home is preferred by many patients, with increasing demand for at-home options. The coalition founder talks about the representatives a little bit, and then it says the coalition includes Ascension, it includes Hackensack Meridian, and it includes Intermountain Health, as well as Best Buy and CBS and others that I mentioned. If you were to project out five years, what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously we're gonna see more home-based care over the next five years. How much, I mean, do you think we will see a significant move into the home? I'd like to think so. I think there are some fairly
1: materials issues. I'm putting the reimbursement aside for one minute. There are some quite practical challenges in delivering this stuff at scale. So on the one hand, putting acute care into the home, fine, do it at home. Then how far is the home from where the staff are? How do we think about the logistics of getting things there? It's not just remote patient monitoring. It's all of these other things around it. And the problem I have with this as a capability, and I think there are very few people who can solve this, is if you're, for example, Ascension, and you solve this at one hospital, the logistics challenges, the staffing challenges, all those things will be solved at that hospital and and around that hospital. You then solve it for another hospital, and you're starting from scratch. You do it another one, you're starting from scratch. The logistics and the challenges of actually providing this care in the home is essentially a ground-up problem every time you solve so, it. So
0: essentially it's not scalable, is what it, you're describing. It doesn't scale in the
1: way that we think most of these sort of digital-first or consumer-centric models scale. Consumer-centric models that are digitally enabled scale extremely nicely and work very well. Where you're having to put a logistics backend onto it, where you're having to actually put humans into these things, deliver things, make sure they happen, that's a very hard challenge to scale. Well, and there's a few people who are attacking it
0: right so amazon's going after this they've proven the ability to take a digital workflow and scale it with a logistics backend. i mean it, it, will it take somebody with that kind of experience and background to scale this across many major cities i think it's
1: going to take someone with a huge amount of understanding of the digital problem Kind of what I would call the orchestration problem of all the digital and human assets and logistics and everything together, and then has got the firepower to actually muster the suppliers to do that. And I'll give you an example of this. So let's say, for example, in one region, and let's agree for a second that you've found a geographic region in which you can deliver this within some sort of, I don't know, 50 mile radius. And it's agreed for a second that maybe the patients who are in the 51st mile radius can or can't get that service. You've got some way of making that a rational and sensible kind of boundary that you can cater to. So it's not going to be one company that does this. It's going to be sort of a coalition, great what we're talking about here, but it's also going to be a coalition of downstream providers who are going to have to sign up to SLAs and service levels and BAAs and all of these protections where they have to accept a standard operating model and a standard set of requirements that they may not like for example and what you can get in one region may not be what you can get in another and remember today you know when these hospitals are opening up virtual wards or, or hospital at home programs they're not big they're like 50 patients 50 beds for example many smaller than that so you've got to find vendors and suppliers who are prepared to do this at pretty small scale on pretty tight clinically oriented delivery time scales meeting service performance agreements that you know maybe they don't want to do because the economics aren't there to do it. So I think there's just a whole bunch of downstream logistical issues that if you're focusing it on one region, fine. If you're trying to do it nationally, much, much harder problem. So I'm excited to see how this
0: plays out. Yeah. I th- clearly you have to determine there's levels of acuity. What levels of acuity can you actually deliver? And if it's a higher level of acuity, it has to be closer to the to the primary hospitals and that kind of stuff. I think... And the policies, the procedures around it, going into people's homes, the technology and how you set that technology up to work. Is it going to have to be cellular versus cellular? We don't use cell towers anymore, but essentially cellular versus Wi-Fi based because, we, I mean, there's a whole host of things. I think what we're going to see happen though is there's going to be a demand for this and companies are going to come alongside and create that those sets of workflows, integrations to the EHR and processes and procedures, and they're going to approach the local healthcare systems and they're gonna say, hey, look, we have this offering. We know there's a demand. We know that you don't have the wherewithal to stand it up in every one of these hospitals, but you could partner with us and we can knit that together. I think it is a different capability. I think we think, oh, the health systems do this on the campus, therefore they will do it in the home. And I think they can deliver, they can be a partner in delivering the care in the home. And almost must be but they don't have the enough. to stand it up
1: yeah it's not enough and what we've seen of these is you get people sort of dipping their toe in it doing one or two patients a week or whatever else and you can kind of tie that together with paper and string and handpick the patients and say they fit all these criteria fine but you then try to do that at scale and it's a completely different proposition uh, anyone who's been involved in any business that has any kind of supply chain dependencies will understand that's a very different problem set. And I think there's just a lot that we have to learn as an industry and how to do this well. Because again, I love the guys at Best Buy. I think they are extremely well positioned to do this. When that deal first happened, people might've been scratching their head saying, well, why does this make sense? It, it makes sense because of all of these other bits that you need to do. And this, the industry is going to learn all this stuff very quickly
0: over the next couple of years. Yeah, I agree. Robbie, I want to thank you for your time. This was a phenomenal discussion and I look forward to, Having a few more in the future thank you bill great to be
1: here thanks for your time
0: and that is the news if i were a cio today i think what i would do is i'd have every team member listening to a show just like this one and trying to have conversations with them after the show about what they've learned and what we can apply to our health system if you want to support this week health one of the ways you can do that is you can recommend our channels to a peer or to one of your staff members. We have two channels, This Week Health Newsroom and This Week Health Conference. You can check them out anywhere you listen to podcasts, which is a lot of places. Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, you name it, you can find it there. You can also find us on YouTube. And of course, you can go to our website, thisweekhealth.com. And we wanna thank our Newsday partners, again, a lot of them, and we appreciate their participation in this show. Cedar sinai Accelerator, ClearSense, CrowdStrike, Digital Scientists, Optimum, Pure Storage, SureTest, TauSite, Lumion, and VMware, who have invested in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.